For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, Vladimir Putin's main political rival survives an assassination attempt. Now, Alexei Navalny works with a journalist to unmask the people who tried to poison him. We'll discuss the Oscar-winning documentary, Navalny. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident dissident slash doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's podcast. Obvious to you. What is happening on Monday's show? On Monday, we're going to be talking about the podcast Admissible Shreds of Evidence. Oh, what's that about? I believe that's from Virginia Public Radio. Oh, okay. Really? It's about lettuce? Yes, it's nice. 100% about lettuce That's and cool. uh, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. I believe it's about DNA. Okay, I like my answer better. But <laughs> I think it's about shreds of evidence. Oh. Shreds of evidence. It's about riffling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I think we have a lot to talk about, about the documentary we're about to discuss. So should we just get right into it, Kevin? If you want to. we have anything else we want to chit-chat about? No, I mean, episode four of Strange Arrivals is out, and uh, Toby, it's been going strong, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've had some uh, some interesting interactions with people on social media. People seem to be enjoying the season so far. So, uh, yeah, and there's good stuff to come. So we're just we're just underway. That's very exciting. We're so proud of you, Toby. We are. We're really proud of you. You guys are making me blush. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. (laughs) Don't make Toby blush. No, don't make Toby blush. And uh, by the way, Kevin, all of the episodes of Outside and the Underdogs are out. Uh, And I would tell people who haven't listened to that series, check it out. The ending of episode three is spectacular. Spectacular. I cry every time I hear it in a good way. Mm. Okay, so now can we talk about the documentary that we're going to be talking about? Well, I didn't feel like I was the one holding things up, but all right, sure. Hey, I, I asked if we could do it before, and then you were the one who went off on the tangent, the plug tangent. I believe I was, yes. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, get that started and drop that first clip right now. Leading off. If you are killed, if this does happen, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? Oh, come on, Daniel. No, no way. It's like you're making movie for the case of my death. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny emerged as Vladimir Putin's strongest rival for the presidency. But while on a flight to Moscow, Navalny became gravely ill. After getting treatment in Germany, it was determined he'd been poisoned with a nerve agent, likely by Russian special forces. It's impossible to believe it. It's kind of stupid. The the whole idea of poisoning with a chemical weapon. What the fuck? This is why this is so smart. Because even reasonable people, they refuse to believe, like, what? Come on, poisoned? 
seriously. Using telecom data, investigative journalists working with Navalny identified the scientists and operatives who executed the attack. The politician then used the press and social media to expose his would-be assassins in an act of defiance against Putin's regime. And boy, does this conversation punch a giant hole in the Kremlin's narrative. Surely this is hugely embarrassing for the Kremlin and for the FSB. Oh, absolutely. It's embarrassing for Mr. Kudrovsev. It's embarrassing for the FSB. It's embarrassing for the Kremlin. The Academy Award-winning documentary feature film Navalny from HBO Max and CNN Films brings us inside the activist's effort to solve his own assassination attempt and score political points against an autocrat. We also see in real time the fallout as Navalny returns to Russia to continue his campaign to change the nation. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Navalny. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, you think this is a real-time documentary in, a, in, in certain ways, right? Like a TikTok. Can you talk about that format? Yeah, I mean, it's a little unique in the sense that, you know, while this big historical thing is going on, we have these documentarians who are there making their observations and, and capturing all the stuff that that's going on. It, this is most interesting when we get to the point where they're sort of doing the investigation, trying to track down uh, who is behind the assassination attempt. But I think it makes it incredibly important and, and very convincing to see them smoke out their perpetrators. And one of the things like usually when we see stuff about, you know, investigative journalists found this, we don't really hear a lot about the method. We sort of get like the 30,000 foot view of, oh, yeah, they used telecom data and tracked it here. But he explained how they did it. Essentially, a lot of it has to do with buying people off and cross-referencing people's telephone uh, address books. So I thought that that was all it was all really interesting. And, you know, a lot of it was captured not by archival footage and, and, you know, things like that, but by the cameras who were there in the room while they were putting all this together. You know, it, in some ways, it reminded me a little bit of Citizen Four. Remember that uh, documentary yeah. about Snowden? And I know that Glenn Greenwald is now insane. Um, and, <laughs> but one of the things I loved about that documentary is because obviously Laura Petrois and uh, Greenwald were there in real time as you know Snowden was hiding, and you know they were actually strategizing. And he was as he was strategizing about like what the fuck to do. And of course, where did he end up? Russia, which is like a very interesting thing. But that you know, sort of the suspense of being in the room with somebody as all this is happening is obviously interesting. But Laura, this is also a case, as with Citizen Four, which didn't have nearly as dire an ending as this did for this guy, you know what is going to happen to Navalny as you're watching this documentary, right? Yeah, and I think that to me is what's really heartbreaking about this is, you know, I followed this in the news. I didn't probably follow it as closely as some, but you know, He's going to recover from this poisoning. He's going to then return and be imprisoned and still imprisoned. So I think it's it's hard because you're watching it. And for me, I'm like rooting for him. I'm rooting for, I'm like, you know, look at him and he's standing up to like Putin and his wife is standing by his side. And these people have like their own like murder board behind him with like yarn and pictures and they're calling people and they have, and I'm like, oh, this is, they're going to win. And I'm like, but they're not. And that to me is, it's just, it's, it's hard watching it because, you know, the takeaway for me is you don't 
fuck with like the Russian leadership. And when you do, look what happens. And even when you have somebody that is super outside the box in how they are approaching trying to combat what's going on and trying to deliver their message and using things like YouTube to get the message out and having this huge following and having like professional journalists working beside them. Unfortunately, you already know the ending. And so that to me was hard in watching it, you know, especially when you see the scenes with his wife and his daughter and you're just like, oh, God, this poor family. Well, I do want to talk about one thing that for me is a giant elephant in the room. And I'm glad that you sent a note about it too, Toby. And you did as well, Laura. And I, I want to talk about the actual documentary and the tape in it and, and all that stuff in a minute. But Toby, I watch this documentary and I'm like, I don't necessarily. And I, I know that there are a lot of people, Russians, who don't think Navalny is a good guy. Uh, they don't think that Russia would be different if Navalny were president. And I don't think I get a sense of that watching this documentary either at all. I just think that he is not Putin, right? And there is one for me incredibly telling scene in this documentary where he doesn't seem to give a shit that like a guy that, yes, he has just basically gotten to confess was part of a plot to kill him. They know this guy is going to get murdered, right? By Putin because of him, you know, being entrapped by Navalny and the journalist. He doesn't give a shit. Yes, dead man. Let's offer him to defect. I mean, let's arrange for him the whole thing. Seriously. Because I think that's a humanitarian thing to do. But he will be in the ditch by uh, by tomorrow. They'll kill him. They'll kill him. There's a point of view in this documentary that, for all intents and purposes, Navalny is the good guy and Putin is the bad guy. They challenge him a little bit, but not a lot. And for me, that was troubling as I watched this. Um, more troubling, I think, than it was for Kevin. Toby, what about you when you watched this? Did you find yourself asking these questions? Yeah, I mean, I like it's a hagiography, right? I mean, it's painting him in the best possible light at all times. And that's why that little bit was kind of jarring because he does have the chance to do like the saintly thing and, and try and preserve that guy's that guy's welfare. It's not that he's like, ah, let him die, but he just he just doesn't seem to engage with the idea. And then at the end you find out that these two people who are working with him are like trying to find him. And that that doesn't seem like that's gonna bear too much fruit. Like that's that's one side of it. I think the other side of it though is I mean, he's taking on Vladimir Putin, who is like assassinating dissidents in foreign countries. And you see what's happening at these demonstrations where people are just getting arrested willy nilly. There's no follow up on like what happens to these people. Are they just taken away and released in 48 hours or are they still in prison or whatever? Like you don't actually know what the consequences are. But I, I think in order to confront, you know, a totalitarian regime, you a have to have like a huge ego that that you're going to be able to inspire people in order to make that kind of change at you know risks to their lives and liberty and then b like i think you have to be especially in yeah in a totalitarian situation you have to be at peace with the fact that people are going to die as a result of your ambitions to change the society right so my kind of guess was that he's already kind of made that piece if he even needed to make it in the first place. But I think in his mind, like this is like a war, like you don't, it's not 
Like I'm not going to run a, an election campaign and win with 50% plus one of the vote, right? It's going to be a more institutional thing. And that this is going to cause people to die, people to be put away for a long time, all these kinds of things. And the fact that this guy was trying to kill me and, and not just that, but he's like a stooge for Putin and he is like kind of the enemy that that just seems like an enemy combatant who's off the board. It's a tough one. Cause I think it's hard to extrapolate from like our politics, like as nasty as they can get. It's a lot different when you're in a, in, in a dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as you wrote in your notes, which I like the enemy of your enemy can also really suck. <laughs> I mean, right. Kevin, you had notes about Navalny's politics as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think your question—you're you're looking at two different things there. You're, you're you're talking about that incident, his personal reaction to endangering the guy who was part of his assassination attempt, and his overall politics and what that means for him as a as a figure. I think where those two things sort of overlap is in in his reaction, where Christo, who is the investigative reporter. You know, when he when it occurs to him that this guy's going to end up getting taken out by the regime because he spilled the beans. Thrown in a ditch. Thrown in a ditch. was it? Yeah, that it sort of hits him like, oh, my God, the fruit of my labor as an investigative journalist is going to get somebody killed. You know, and that's different professionally. That's not something you usually see as a consequence of your journalism. But as a political leader, it's much more personal for him, obviously, for Navalny, and that he sees all these people as enemy combatants and that if I'm the leader of a nation, I should be able to be willing to order the death of somebody. Uh, I should be able to command an army and uh, navy and all that other stuff. So he he seems a little less troubled by the idea that the guy who tried to kill him is now probably going to get killed by the same Regime. He's more focused on exposing things. Were you were you satisfied with his answer about why he was willing to align himself with white nationalists? Now that's the other point. <laughs> now this is interesting, right? Because kind of as Toby was saying here, that if you're facing a dictator, if you're facing a regime like this, you're right. You have to get to fifty percent plus one. So I understand the political logic of being nationalist adjacent, or at least trying to create a coalition of really bad bedfellows in order to just to get Putin out. Were there not a couple of Nazi guys at that march? But certainly a Zig Haler would be a different category that you would not want to associate with or march beside. Well, in the normal world, in the normal uh, political system, of course I would never be in the same political party with them. But we are creating coalition, broader coalition to fight a territorial regime. The interesting thing is he like is asked like, well, what would life be like under, you know, if you were president and he says things, you know, and they even ask him like, well, if you get killed, what do you want people to know? And all of his rhetoric is very much like about like, uh, we'll give power to the people and, you know, we're all going to be free and it's for, you know, it's for Mother Russia and all this stuff. And the rhetoric could very much be rhetoric used by activists in America, whether they're on the left or the right, because it's just vague enough. Right. And so I think people see within Navalny. What you want. I don't understand Russian politics. It may be way more nuanced than that, but I do understand why he might be willing to look bad or maybe he is really bad. You know, maybe he's just like I'm a nationalist, but I just wear a nicer suit. It really didn't dive very deep into that. And I think it gave you enough to think about. But I don't think I have enough of sort of like the political context other than just the fact that Putin is dangerous and he's going to kill anybody 
is going to demonstrate against him. I think we know, Laura, from this country that like when you have like a really, really, really bad actor, there's somebody that like is also bad, but can look so much better than the really, really, really bad actor that can make you forget about and I'm you know it's like I'm obviously not Russian and I don't want to like yeah. I I actually work with uh or just finished working with who she just left after having a baby a woman um who's Russian who fucking hates Navalny and is like the world is fooled by this guy you know he's like he's like but you know I don't I don't know I'm not you know I don't know yeah. enough but it was just obviously from there so it was like a very different and an interesting point of view because everybody in and you know in the media is like fawning over him um and, you know and there are Ukrainians who feel similarly about Zelensky for instance you know it's yeah. like the world sees one thing and people who live there see something else it's it's very different but that answer of like would he be different than Putin is never given in the film no, it's never given. And I think that what we are given is the response from Putin and the establishment that was just so crazy that to me, I'm like, well, it can't be worse than that. But I don't know the whole story. And that's that's the part of this that's left out. But when you hear about like the smear campaign where they're like, he drank moonshine. He took illegal antidepressants from the USA because they all take antidepressants there. Cocaine, orgies, like... I don't know, sex with animals. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so when you hear the response from the establishment against him with that sort of rhetoric, you're like, wow, like he must really be onto something. (laughs) And actually it could just be that I'm the boss and I'm Putin and I don't want to be out of power and fuck this guy. Um, So I'm going to say all this shit like schoolyard bullies. But when you hear that sort of 2011 clip of him and you hear him like glory to Russia and you hear him like the three musketeers motto is like one for all and all for one. You st- I, to me, that's when I started to be like, well, maybe there's a little something else going on here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no doubt Putin runs things with an iron fist. He'd be a good businessman on Patreon. I yes. Think. Oh, yeah. Because he could convince people to sign up for five bucks a month or go six bucks just to get the extra bonus, the Laura Brickers leave it to Bricker podcast. It's a very indelicate transition in many ways. Yeah. I, I think that we have to have a conversation after this podcast about that transition. But now that it's over, I guess we're in the business section. Yeah. Um, so right now you can get at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, the crime writers on after show, Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcast, Laura Brickers leave it to Bricker podcast and our Married with Podcast, which was advice, and uh, we just did one the other day, Rebecca, and I'm trying to remember a uh, discussion about a listener who didn't write in for herself, but read, wrote in kind of about her co-worker, co-worker's daughter, kind of cut off the whole family, and I think I had really good advice for the co-worker, but Rebecca kept reminding me that the co-worker wasn't. Didn't have enough <laughs> didn't information have, to didn't have inform- the question. And the co-worker wasn't on Patreon, so I shouldn't be dispensing <laughs> it. was a good conversation. Yeah, later today, look, check your email uh, inbox because we'll be sending out the latest Crime Writers on newsletter. All sorts of great stuff in there, including photographs of this week's Pet of the Week. Yay! Wait till the end of the podcast. You'll find out a little more about the Pet of the Week. Is it in a wheelchair? Is it one of those dog wheelchairs? 
Oh, for fuck's sake, Rebecca. Every time I see one of those dogs in one of those like pulley wheelchair things, I'm like, when are we going to get one of those to be our pet of the week? They're so cute. Also, uh, Wolf, you can get some crime writers on behind the scenes stuff there. So it's all fun and games and it doesn't cost you anything. And you just go to crimewriterson.com, put in your email address. We do the rest. All right. Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Katie Boyd. And Anne Scylla. Katie and Anne. Why you stepped on me? Oh. Let me try that. Don't you remember the bless you? No. <laughs> All right, here, let me do it. Let's get a clean one. Bless you. Bless you, Katie and Anne. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, thank you to everyone who supports us there. Thanks to everyone who doesn't. And thank you to everyone for muscling through the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. So, Toby. Let's put politics aside and go back to talking about the actual documentary. Sure. There is some pretty incredible uh, video and uh, tape in this documentary. Is there not? Yeah. I mean, I assume that's why it won an Oscar is because, (laughs) you know, I mean, you're following all this pretty incredible stuff. Like you, you see, like just at the very beginning, you see Yulia Navalny being sort of almost physically restrained from going to see her husband in the hospital after while he's on death's door because he was poisoned. You know, as Kevin mentioned earlier, you, you watch some of it and some of it's described, but while they track down this Bulgarian guy tracks down who the assassins might be. And it seems like it might take him a couple of afternoons. I mean, it's just like the guy just whips through it and figures out who it is really quickly You're there when Navalny is making these prank phone calls to the people he thinks were trying to assassinate him to try and get them to kind of uh, spill the beans by accident. And then, you know, when he makes his his like not so triumphant return to Russia on the plane and gets waylaid by the uh, by the police. So, yeah, I mean, there really is a sense like you are there like 100 percent. And I think that that's really the strength. Right. Because I think a lot of the stuff is just taken to such face value, but the fact that you're so firmly embedded and that these critical moments are shown for you on video, it's, it's pretty incredible just as like a piece of history that you're able to experience. John uh, Reagan used to do that too. He'd call up John Hinckley Jr. And just uh, harass him on the phone. <laughs> right. now, is your That's refrigerator right. running? Is, hey, is your refrigerator running? And he just hang up. And, no, he wouldn't. Yeah, he would. He was mean <laughs> like that. So, Kevin, we need to talk about the reporter, uh, Christo Grozev, Grozev uh, yeah. explaining how he tracked down those agents who uh, poisoned Navalny, that telecom data. I think... I, like I said earlier, I thought that this this was fascinating because uh, he basically explains how they did it. And uh, and you don't usually show the playbook like that if you want to do it again. But the most interesting thing was that in addition to sort of like the computer know how it was flexing the muscles to basically buy the data from people. And, you know, just like, yeah, to say, hey, you know, here's a bribe. Give me all the flight information for the past six months and put it all together. But he did say the, the thing out loud that he shouldn't have, which is that um, he says, my wife doesn't know how much money I've spent on this. And it's like, dude, 
she's going to watch this. This film yeah, won an shows Oscar. exactly how much of, <laughs> of your own money you spent tracking that stuff down. Yeah, he like he he tells her that a different number than what he actually spent, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like one tenth of the amount that he actually spent. Or yep. yes, yep. Over the last five years of me working on data journalism, I would say I've spent hundred and fifty thousand dollars. My wife has no idea about this. My wife suspects I've spent probably two or three thousand. If she knew the real quantum, she wouldn't be my wife. But she's not watching this movie. She's not watching this movie. And then you just added yourself. I'm absolutely sure she's not watching this movie now. But the tables have turned, Rebecca. I told Kevin this sweater was five dollars. Happens all the fucking but time. But fair listener, it was actually five hundred dollars. Kevin will never know. Ah. He'll never hear that on this podcast. Even though he's sitting right next to me as we record this podcast. Laura, you actually like really want this phone database tool thing because you're nosy, right? Who the hell wouldn't want this? Oh my god, it's amazing. Like, I used to have to, like, go through hoops to get that. I, I never, even when I had super access when I worked in fundraising and I could access all these crazy databases, I could never access this level of information. So the fact that they're able to go into this phone database, find the private phone numbers of all these people, and then Navalny is calling them. Himself. One <laughs> by one himself. And he's like, so why did the operation fail? So what happened? What went wrong with the procedure? And then he finally gets the one guy who's like, I will gladly help, but I'm home with the coronavirus right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, That one guy folded like a card table. He told him everything, including how the poison was delivered. And that was unbelievable. He had no idea. Yeah. It just kept getting better and better. But I think, yeah, I mean, but beyond the database, having this journalist guy on board, And then the murder map. I mean, there was a lot going on here. And regardless, again, like we talked about the politics before, regardless if you agree with his politics or not, you've got to respect the lengths that this guy went to to actually investigate what happened to him and actually get to the bottom of it. And he did, which is amazing to me that he actually, in the end, got this guy who's like, check the underwear or if the flight had been longer, he would have been dead. And you're like, Oh my goodness gracious. Like seriously, I want that phone database. I cross search phones and all sorts of like free things all the time. I get no information, nothing like that. So um, Russia, if you're listening through my Alexa, please send me access to the phone database. (laughs) I think you got to go on the dark web and arrange to have somebody (laughs) slip it to you. It's not a database. It's stolen information. Yeah. Kevin, were you surprised that Navalny was like willing to make those phone calls himself and like like do voices? Like he was like doing voices. He was doing TikToks, trolling them. <laughs> How bizarre. You know, it just. Yeah. I, I Again, I don't know his politics. I don't actually know where he falls on the political spectrum. He could just be a, you know, a less autocratic version of Putin. But. Like Laura said, you do have to admire his courage in order to stand up. A lot of people won't take a popular position in politics. It's just going to make them look bad. This is a guy that after we went through all of this, got on a plane and went back to Russia. You know, I mean, they've already he knows they've already tried to kill him. He knows that as soon as he arrives, they're going to arrest him. And that's what they do. And he's still in prison for he's a political prisoner. So, you know, to the extent that you have to give it up to somebody, whether or not you believe in his cause, 
And I think in the end, we all kind of think that yeah, 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 we we got to do something about Putin. And it'd be nice if we could just do it, you know, the do it at the ballot box and not have to do it with Ricin in his pantaloons. Give it up to Navalny for having the cojones to do what he did. All right. So, Toby, Kevin just said Ricin in his pantaloons, which isn't exactly what happened. But as a fiction writer... If an editor told you, now, Toby, I want you to modify this murder scene, and instead of what you actually wrote, I want you to make it so that a group of assassins puts nerve agent in a man's underwear as he's about to get on a plane and, you know, switches his clothes out as he's in a hotel and and, and makes nerve agent in his underwear. Um, That's, like, not... It's like, it's so implausible. It's like stupid. Like, it, it's like so, I mean, it's like, it's like the kind of thing it's like, it's like in the Americans or like in a John le Carre novel or, I mean, it's like even stupider than that. Um, and the fact that that's what happened, like that kind of blew my mind. Even stupider than a John le Carre novel, Rebecca? <laughs> yeah. Even um, stupider than some of the spy details that happen in novels like those written by John the, le Carre. The only thing I which can are say, fun as hell. The only thing I can say to that is, uh. You know, I think they wanted to make sure it was something that got against his skin. Yep. So it seems like underwear and socks are like the two safest bets because otherwise you can layer, but nobody's going to wear anything under their underwear or their socks. I guess they could wear two pairs of socks. You can have under underwear. People rarely, rarely do that, but that would have might have saved his uh, might have saved himself a lot of hassle. You know, one thing I noticed: Did you guys watch the little like things at the end, like what where people are and what happened and all that? Yeah, yeah. It's got this really weirdly phrased thing that says that Navalny survived a hunger strike. Yep. Yeah. It just seemed like a weird thing. It's not like he was forced. To, I mean, a hunger strike is a you know. He decided to do it. So to say he survived it means essentially that he stopped it at a point because... Or they force-fed him, which could have happened as well. Right. But then I don't think you would say survived. You'd say he... Failed. Was at unsuccessful in, it's in, an active, in doing a hunger passive strike. voice kind of thing here, right? Yeah. It was, yeah, it was just kind of a strange... I mean, it made... Something that he had agency in seemed kind of sinister. Yeah. And that, wow, he survived again, this time for something he was trying to do to himself. Yeah. Guess um, what? I survived the hunger strike, too. Yeah, exactly. It was I, a couple hours, but, Exactly. You know, I've been on a hunger strike since 7.45 today. Yeah. Yeah, that is a point of view. And, the, I mean, there is a point of view, too. I mean, obviously, they have what they have. I mean, we see these family scenes, and, like, they should have seen repeatedly, Kevin, of them walking down and feeding the donkey. Right. They, <laughs> I found the daughter to be a very interesting figure in this. You know, she goes to school in America. She's obviously going to have a very different experience than her parents had. She goes to what Stanford or whatever. And her dad is Navalny. Uh, and she's like flying back and forth from, you know, America to Germany to be with her parents. But like, I just keep thinking like her experience must be very singular. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I found her to be a very interesting character with these parents. Like, I, it's got, it can't be easy. Yeah, I, I did too. Actually, I found her to be extremely interesting because you've got all this drama surrounding him and, and, and then you've got her and she just seems to be like a well-adjusted college student. And she's got, was it Stanford? She's, is, was that where she was? She has a little Stanford sweatshirt on. And, um, but she was very, I think, what I, you know, I think her inclusion in this really showed the impact on his family. And, you know, she's talking about what it would be like if he died and like realizing that he's in this position and 
there was one point I think that she wasn't sure he was going to go to her graduation. And so I think that was another window into the side effect of him being who he was, but something that for me, I could really relate to. Um, she, she was very relatable. Like the whole day I was just thinking about how my dad would have been, I'm sorry, <laughs> my dad would have been proud to see me walk on the stage and get my certificate. And he um, wouldn't get that option because he was in jail for doing the right thing. I mean, there must be concerns about her safety too, right? I mean, there yeah. have to be. Yeah, sure. I mean, between her and, and the wife, and I, I, and then the wife, there was one part, again, like with showing the impact on the family where his wife is talking about not taking any pictures of him in the hospital because if she died, that's not how she wanted to remember him. And then they showed all the photos of these like family photos. And that was very poignant. It's also a political calculation to not show yes. him as weak. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she plays two really important roles there. She definitely seems like a devoted spouse, that she definitely loves him and is is a partner with him in the family and their lives. But she also does a good role as the political spouse, sidekick, supporter, surrogate for him. He's in the hospital. She's there standing up in front of the camera. Certainly if those cameras weren't there in that hospital, I don't think any of them would be walking out, you know. But she, she yeah, she's a uh, a fascinating I guess, political spouse in her own right. I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, the throngs raise her up to be the next opposition leader because they're, they're, they're a savvy group. Yeah. And you got to admire a woman who does a documentary interview wearing red leather head to toe. You got to yeah. admire that. was amazing. I was like, oh my God, she's superficial like a observation. super sexy red leather couch or something. Yes, it might be a superficial <laughs> observation, but you know, I, I mean, you, you understand those choices are also calculated in their own way. Yeah. And like, yeah. I like that one. And to see the son, just the way he was dressed like any other American teenager, you know, sort of the influence of American culture and hip-hop culture, uh, you know, around the world, you know, brand name stuff is like, oh, that's certainly to American viewers, you know, relatable as kids in your family. I just assumed he was probably at a prep school somewhere. Probably. Outside of Russia. Probably. But it's amazing that- He the, probably goes to like Phillips Exeter or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing that daughter's her Russian accent is like almost non-existent. Like she speaks English so, so well, and yet the brother has- uh, a stronger Russian accent. It just it, it has nothing to do sort of like, well, who's better educated or anything. girls are smarter, Kevin. Perhaps, perhaps. It just sort of left the <laughs> no, impression that maybe he's he's uh, much, he's not stateside at all. But maybe I don't know. I found him in the States longer, you know? But we don't see him get on a plane. That's true. We, I don't know. Where yeah, including the one that his parents got on. I, I thought a funny scene was when... Uh, when the Volney's in the uh, the airport and you see him and he and he's like on his phone and you think he's like texting like some dissident buddy of his or or trying to arrange something and then they close in and he's actually just playing Call of Duty just like killing time before yeah. his plane leaves. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, oh my god, dissidents um, they're just like us. Exactly, exactly <laughs> with their Joan Jack cosplay fiends. and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Navalny? It's streaming right now on HBO Max. And of course, it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Navalny? Yeah, I would say give this a watch. I found this extremely interesting. Uh, as somebody who had 
kind of just on the news and through the paper, like through the regular media, followed what was going on with Navalny. But seeing this documentary and seeing all of the footage behind the scenes as this was unfolding and how he was handling it and how he was trying to investigate what was happening to him and footage of his family. And it was it was fascinating. Uh, You know, it was what, like an hour and a half. It might have been a little longer. It wasn't. But it was it was really interesting. And I think if you are somebody that's interested in what's happening in like world affairs and politics and how our relationship with Russia is and how other countries relationship with Russia is and what's going on. Um, this is a really interesting window into part of that. So thumbs up. Tell you about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Navalny? Sort of as a fly on the wall type of thing. It's excellent. It's just the, the access, the being in important places at important times, the insight, that kind of thing is all like top, top notch. To me, it's kind of interesting that something that's put out by CNN has basically no like pushback on anything. Like it is absolutely 100% told from Navalny's point of view. Like, I think you could really, I don't know if there's a bad word said about him in the whole thing other than by Putin stooges. And it's just basically shown as it's almost laughable what they say. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's, I'm not going to not give it a thumbs up. I, I thought it was fascinating, but it, it's amazing how little context you get for where Navalny is in Russian politics, in Russian society, in anything. I mean, it just kind of feels like you're, you're so in his little bubble that you don't really get any sense of anything else. So you end up rooting for the guy, but it's just like you have no idea why other than he's not Putin and seems like a nice guy, but you have no idea about anything else about him, basically. So thumbs up. And I I definitely enjoyed it. But as a documentary that won an Oscar, it doesn't seem to ask a whole ton of questions. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Looks like this was something that was an important documentary to make, but also sort of serendipitous. Not often that you have a politician who survives an assassination attempt who's willing to be as transparent about his life and what his next steps are. So in case you didn't see it, I mean, it's no spoiler to say that he survived the assassination attempt, but how they put stuff together and how they sort of solve this mystery where it ends up being more political intrigue than just your typical political profile, I think was something that we probably, it could only have been this guy and we probably won't see anything like this uh, ever again. So it's on uh, HBO Max right now. You can you can uh, watch it. It's, yeah, I mean, I think as far as documentaries go, this is a pretty good one. So I'm going to go with a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm going with mild thumbs up for this. I'm actually very surprised that this won the Oscar for Best Documentary for a lot of the reasons that Toby outlined it is not a very full, it's, it's fascinating, by the way. It's a fun watch, um, but it is not a very full portrait of the larger sort of context around this story. So I compared it earlier to Citizen Four, which I truly believe, despite the fact that Glenn Greenwald has gone off a cliff in terms of uh, his his ideology, I truly believe Citizen Four was a great documentary because it was in a closed space and it felt almost like a play 
uh, as you're with Edward Snowden, sort of in this one hotel room, and they're sort of figuring out what the hell he's going to do after stealing all these, um, you know, secrets and and just sort of his escape route from there. It's very heightened. The stakes feel very high, and you have all the political context is all sort of laid out for you. That context isn't really laid out here, insofar as as Toby said, there's not a lot of pushback on Navalny himself. And you know, we know a lot about Putin just from everything we've read about Putin, everything we've heard about Putin. And we don't get a lot of questions to Navalny about like, how are you different? Which granted is not really the topic of what's actually happening in real time in the documentary, but it is important to understand that if if we're being asked to sort of see this guy as a hero, which undoubtedly this documentary is asking us to do. And I just want to say there was a documentary that Kevin and I watched that was not even nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary, and it shocks me. It's called Descendant. It's on Netflix. Please watch it. I believe that's the film that should have won the Oscar for Best Documentary. So yes, thumbs up for this. Can't believe it won the Oscar for Best Documentary, but it's pretty good. All right, that's going to do. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. And the cat of the week is Sylvie and her two blue balls. What? Because <laughs> who wants blue balls? How come I'm apparently not cat Sylvie, of the week? <laughs> apparently Sylvie wants some blue balls and she's laying on a bed with two of them. be cat of the week every week. Oh, <laughs> uh, so all I know is I got this picture. It's adorable and also kind of funny and inappropriate. And I couldn't resist making Sylvie cat of the week. So. I don't blame you. Sylvie, I hope you get some relief oh, soon. Oh, that's not inappropriate. Sylvie's lying there with her two blue tennis two, balls. She's so got cute. her two blue tennis balls. I hope she gets some relief and release. It's <laughs> adorable. All right, Lara Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you, with their not at all inappropriate photos that you will then turn into dirty photos of their pets to be cat of the week. How can they find you on Twitter or any other social media platform? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And Toy Ball folks want to reach out to you just so they can get like like just a visage of like what you look like when Lara Bricker says things like what she just (laughs) said. Uh, How can they find you on social media? I don't know if it can be put into words or certainly not 140 <laughs> characters uh, at Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I am at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show anywhere at Crime Writers On, like Instagram especially. It's really fun over there. I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular old page, hit join the group. We'll probably let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the incredible content we have back there. You heard about it in the business section. I'm not going to repeat it. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement, where we expose our enemies with lip-synced musical numbers on TikTok. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Vladimir Putin is the latest patron to sign up. No. Because he's not. What? <laughs> oh, we, we've kicked him out. I'm sorry. Not welcome. He would be demanding half of our Patreon Correct. money. Correct. true, yes. He'd be accusing me of drinking moonshine. Exactly. And he's cats. not a humanitarian. He, he does not believe in the civil liberties. It belongs of to the people. No. He's probably pirating our Patreon stuff. Correct. That's right. <laughs> Correct. Toby, make sure to double check your underwear before you put yes. it on. Yes. <laughs> 